we begin a brand new sermon series this morning called, When Love Comes to Town. That title is not original to us. It was actually a song collaborated with U2 and the late, great B.B. King. It was released in 1988, and we really liked the song. And so we took the song, and we kind of created a series off of it, okay? So I want to read to you some of the lyrics from the song. This is what it says. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the soldier drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side, but I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. Without a doubt, the most transformational feeling that the human being can experience is the emotion of love. Whether that be towards a spouse, a child, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend, there's no question that when that feeling of love comes upon a person, there's something special about it. Conversely, if you've ever had feelings of love towards another person, only to not have it reciprocated, you realize the heartache and the pain that can come upon us. There are a lot of attributes of God that we talk about in church. He's all-knowing. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He's wise. He's discerning. He's thoughtful. But without question... The quality that sets him apart above every other thing on this planet is his love. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at encounters in the Gospels and the book of Acts where Jesus has encounters with people that causes their lives to be transformed forever. This morning we begin with the story of Zacchaeus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. No, I'm not going to sing the song that you grew up singing if you were raised in church. In fact, I'm actually going to disappoint you here in a little while because that song's really not accurate. But my goal for this series is threefold because I believe there's three types of people in the room this morning. Number one, there are those of you that are in Christ. You know of Jesus's love for you. You have no doubt about it. So I only want to reaffirm what you already believe about the love of God. But there's a second group of people in here this morning who are exploring Christianity. They're here to see if the things that we say about Jesus are actually true and if we actually live it out. So my goal for that group of people is that 10 weeks from now, they would leave knowing that no matter what they bring to the table, God loves them. And then there's a third group of people in here who are doubting God's love for you. Because of personal circumstances, maybe because of events in your past. And I want to remind you and reaffirm what you once believed, that God's love for you does not waver. So those are the three groups here this morning. You fall into one of those camps. We're going to be in chapter 19 of Luke, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Luke tells us. He entered Jericho and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want you to notice something in the very first verse of this passage. Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now, why is he passing through Jericho? At this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, where he will experience the death, unlike anything you and I could ever imagine. And he passes through Jerusalem. And instead of just going about his day, he stops. And he seizes the opportunity that he has to have a conversation with Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a type A person. When I have something that I need to accomplish, whether it be an important conversation, a meeting to go to, a sermon to write, a person to visit in the hospital, I have tunnel vision. I'm solely focused on what I have to do at that moment. So any external factors, or what Coach Saban would call noise, okay, I eliminate. It would have been so easy for Jesus. Think of the emotion and the anguish and the anxiety he would have felt as he is traveling through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And yet, he takes advantage of the opportunity to stop and have a conversation with Zacchaeus, even though he's got quite a lot on his mind. You see, if you're a type A personality like myself, and you have goals and itineraries and plans for each and every day and things that you want to accomplish, it is so easy to miss the opportunities that God puts in front of you to have gospel conversations with people, to give somebody a word of encouragement, to pray for them, But the example Jesus gives us here is that we need to take advantage of every single opportunity we have throughout our day to make people aware of Jesus. If the man who is on his way to his death can detour and have a conversation with Zacchaeus, surely we can learn the art of being aware of our surroundings, watching and seeing how the Spirit can work in our lives to make time for people. Maybe you're a big picture person and you get lost in the details. And so you're not focused on the nitty gritty. You just want to get on to the next big thing. On January 28, 1986, I was one month old. My mother was holding me in her arms. She woke up early that morning because something that had never happened in the history of the world was about to happen. 
we were going to launch the first teacher into space. Many of you know of the Challenger, the greatest disaster that NASA has ever experienced. Seven astronauts were killed about 30 seconds to a minute into that flight. And you know what the problem was? NASA later discovered that there were two small rubber O-rings that separated the rocket boosters. And that morning on the launch site, the temperature that morning was colder than usual. And the O-rings malfunctioned. And so about a minute into that flight, you're probably watching on TV if you were alive, the explosion and the tragedy that is now known as the Challenger explosion. Nobody is more detail-oriented and has more procedures about every little step than NASA. And yet, that morning, there's been a lot of speculation about the Challenger explosion. Case studies have been done. Conspiracy theories have been out there. But at the end of the day, seven lives were lost. Now, some think if they would have just waited until later on in the morning when the temperature warmed up, everything would have been fine. Some say, well, why didn't they just delay the launch till the next day? And then others say, NASA knew about the problem, but because they had had so much success in the past, they thought that everything would be okay. I use this example as an intense reminder that sometimes God is in the details of your everyday life. And if we are focused so much on getting to the next meeting, to the next conversation, and that's all we're thinking about, if we have tunnel vision, we will miss the opportunity that God puts right in front of us. We also see Jesus taking the initiative. Now, I hate to do this to you, but the song that says, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, is probably not accurate. It's more likely that the Greek text is not referring to his height, but referring to his age. That he is a young man, not short in height. So this makes us wonder, well then, why did he climb the sycamore tree? Well, more than likely, he climbed the sycamore tree, not because he couldn't see, but because the people that were around Jesus didn't want Zacchaeus to get up to the front. Now, why would they want that? Well, Luke tells us here. The profession of Zacchaeus is one of a tax collector. Somebody who was despised by the Jewish people. Because as they went from house to house, collecting the money for the Romans, they would fudge the numbers. So if they were supposed to be turning in five denarii, they would charge ten and keep the five for themselves. And so they were despised. But yet we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus is intentionally drawing himself to these types of people. Tax collectors, paralyzed people, lepers. The people are actually the ones preventing Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus. So Zacchaeus climbs the tree. Jesus sees him. And Luke tells us that Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus. So Jesus is the one here taking the initiative. He is the one reaching out to Zacchaeus, inviting himself 
to go stay in Zacchaeus' house. The reality is, most of the time, as believers in Jesus Christ, random people are not going to just walk up to you and say, tell me everything you know about Jesus. Now, you might have on a Christian t-shirt, you might keep your Bible in your back pocket, you might pray in public at meals, but still, in this day and age, people are not going most likely to come up to you and just begin asking you questions about Christianity. This means that you and I are responsible for taking that initiative. Now, in 2019, we're going to provide some training opportunities where we learn to tell our story, where we learn to share our faith. Many of you might be very comfortable doing it, but I would venture to guess that there are some in here who don't feel confident in sharing the good news of Jesus with somebody. So the only way we can learn how to do that is to be taught how to do it. So be looking for that. And in two weeks, on January 20th, I'm going to reveal to the church a plan for intentional outreach for the entire year of 2019. So I want you to begin praying right now that God would lay the names of people on your heart that you know need to hear the gospel. This isn't just going to be a a flyer that we insert in the worship guide and then never talk about again. Not that we've ever done that. We're actually going to hold one another accountable the entire year for this plan. So I want you to be here on January 20th as we see how God is going to use us this year to make a difference in the neighborhoods and in the places where we live. Jesus took the initiative. We also see that hospitality matters. It's concerning to me to read this account that Luke gives us here. Because more than likely, the crowd that prevents Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus was probably good old-fashioned religious church people. And yet, Luke tells us they're complaining. They're griping. Why would Jesus go and spend time with a sinner like Zacchaeus? So as I was studying this and meditating on it, I thought to myself, man, I hope I'm not the crowd. Individually, corporately as a church body, we have to ask ourselves, do we have that type of attitude? When somebody shows up that doesn't look like us, doesn't dress like us, doesn't make the same amount of money that we do, do we show hospitality to them? Or do we block them like we see Zacchaeus being blocked here? You know, one of the interesting things about people that come to church for the very first time, you can find this in a lot of research, that people make their mind up whether or not they're going to return in the first 10 minutes. So if you are a first-time guest this morning, more than likely, you already had your mind made up. The first 10 minutes that you got here, What does that tell us? That the music and the preaching, while very important for first-time people, is not the most important thing. So what is? Finding a parking spot. Getting their kids checked in. 
getting a worship guide, finding a seat in the worship center, and then having somebody come up to them and welcome them. That is what brings people back a second time. Preaching and music, they play a role down the road, but for first-time people, their mind is made up within the first 10 minutes whether or not they're going to return. That means we have to be on our game. That means we have to be looking out constantly for new people. We need to make sure everybody has a worship guide. We need to make sure everybody is welcomed when they enter the building. You know, this is a TV show that I did not watch, but I would say it's one of the greatest television theme songs of all time. And there's this line in the song that says, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Now, we're not a bar. But the principle is true. Whether you're an extrovert, whether you're an introvert, everybody wants to go to a place where somebody knows their name, where they're accepted, where they are loved, where they can belong. Have you ever stopped to think about what it must be like for somebody to enter this church for the first time and not know a single person? This happened to me when I was 18 years old, and I had just left to go off to college. I was visiting a church for the first time. My roommate wasn't interested in going with me. I didn't have a wingman to go with me, so I showed up at this service that was designed specifically for college students, opened the door, entered the room, and did not know a soul. It is a terrifying experience, even as somebody who's an extrovert. I've never forgotten it, 15 years later. We have an opportunity through our First Impressions ministry to make sure that everybody that walks through these doors feels loved, feels accepted. So I want you to do something this morning. Our First Impressions team, if you are interested in helping us make people feel welcomed, I want you to fill out that tab in your worship guide and write your name and write, I want to help with our First Impressions team. Or you can come up to me right after the service. But if the research is true that within the first 10 minutes, people are deciding whether or not they are going to return, then we have to be ready when God brings people our ways. Not only does hospitality matter, But something happens, and this is a debate among scholars and commentators. When you get to verse 8, notice how Luke uses the verbs here to describe Zacchaeus. Okay, this is very interesting. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Present tense. Some commentators think that this is futuristic present. So even though Zacchaeus is talking in the present tense, what he's basically saying is, Jesus, from now on, I will do this and I will do this. Other commentators think that Zacchaeus is actually talking in the present which would mean that at this point in the story, Luke doesn't actually show us that Zacchaeus has repented. 
It happened sometime else. Luke doesn't include it here. So when Jesus says in verse 9, today salvation has been restored to your house, if he's not talking about personal salvation, which I tend to believe he's not, what is he talking about? He's talking about Zacchaeus being restored to the community. Because nowhere does Jesus say Zacchaeus repent. We don't see any repentance from Zacchaeus. So it leads me to believe that Jesus here is teaching not only Zacchaeus something, but everyone else around him. Because he simultaneously does two things. First, he says, salvation has come to Zacchaeus and his entire household. But he says it in front of the crowd. Why would Jesus do that? to teach the crowd who thought that Jesus was that Zacchaeus was not worthy of Jesus' love, that he is invited into the community. So he's not only teaching Zacchaeus here, he's teaching the very people who shunned Zacchaeus from getting to see Jesus. The salvation that Jesus is talking about here is being invited into a community because of Zacchaeus' profession He had been ostracized from the very people that he grew up around. He was a Jew. Luke tells us this. He is also a son of Abraham. So this present tense that is used here by Luke is not to remind us that Zacchaeus has become saved because that's already happened. But he's actually teaching everyone else around Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus belongs in this community because I love him. So I say to every one of you this morning, come into this community. The love of Jesus is for you. Maybe you have intentionally distanced yourself for whatever reason, I want to invite you back in. I want to invite you to engage in the life of this church. And then for those of us who are the crowd this morning, and we have prevented, whether intentionally or unintentionally, somebody from feeling loved and welcomed, may we ask God to forgive us. I just finished a book called Gay Girl, Good God. It's the story of a woman named Jackie Hill Perry who became a believer in Jesus Christ and comes out of a life of lesbianism. And one of the things she argues for in that book is that when she left the LGBT community, she lost a great sense of community. Because within the LGBT community, it's more than just a label. These people love one another, and they encourage one another, and they comfort one another. And when she left that life to go and follow Jesus and come to the church, it actually wasn't as easy as she thought it would be. Listen to what she says about the church that she finally found, where she felt loved and accepted despite her struggles. A community of people who know God cannot be considered regular. 
what I had once thought to be a collective of mundane and ordinary Christians had now become to me the miraculous in bodily form. Every conversation could at any moment be a prayer answered or a burning bush over dinner. They had been made alive by the same God I'd met weeks prior, and they taught him better than I would have known him in solitude. God had put us together, and in doing so, he had provided the means by which I could learn how to unclothe all that my prior community told me to wear proudly. Church of Jesus Christ. You know people who want to feel accepted. Who want to feel included. Who want a place where they can belong. They might not tell you that, but that is how God wired us. So if they're not telling you that, they're living a lie. The devil has distorted the truth within them. Because every single person wants community. The challenge for us is to be a church where people from every walk of life, no matter what their past is, no matter what they currently do, that they could come and find the redemption that only Jesus Christ can provide. That's our calling. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. God, every one of us probably have somebody like Zacchaeus in our life who is interested in learning more about Jesus. But for whatever reason, they're being blocked. Whether it be their own problem or somebody else's problem, God, we pray that you would draw them to yourself this morning. For those that we work with, family members, friends, that don't know you, I pray that you would put a burden on our hearts to share the love of Jesus with them. Because we know that your love transforms us forever. Now as we respond and as we sing, Lord, if you have laid something on our hearts, help us to respond in obedience. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.